continuing on with spring training, if you watch any of the games so far, is there anyone that's really caught your eye, perhaps a prospect or um, just a player that you think is showing things early in the spring that perhaps you wouldn't have expected? Mm-hmm. And I've been watching the Mets this entire spring training. You know, getting to see some young guys that we've been talking about this entire offseason as Mets fans. And a guy that I'm so happy is playing well, finally, is Dominic Smith, the first baseman for the Mets. So far in spring training, hitting 10 of 20, so a 500 average, with a home run and six RBIs. And I am so impressed. And the biggest reason why is that even though he's only 23 years old, We've been hearing how Dom Smith is one of our best prospects for such a long time now. It's, is this year that Dom Smith's going to break out? Is this year that Dom Smith's going to break out? Is this year that Tom, Dom Smith's going to break out? And I think we're finally, I mean, every single year, he's underperformed and he's coming overweight or he's coming lazy or he's made silly mistakes in the field. And so far with the stats that he's been putting up and his consistency, more importantly, he can make a run to start an opening day to a, a um, injury-plagued Mets infield already, of course, because we're the Mets, and how can we not be injured two weeks into spring already? But I'm so happy to see that Dom Smith is doing well. And on that topic of young first basemen, Peter Alonzo, or I sh- should not say Peter, Pete Alonzo. I can't believe I even said that because if you guys don't know, he's no longer Peter Alonzo. He's Pete Alonzo. So <laughs> Pete Alonzo has also been excellent this entire spring. And people forget that Dom Smith is actually younger than Pete Alonzo, which I did not know about and I wouldn't even anticipate, but he is. So I'm happy to see Donald Smith really breaking out so far. And, of course, it's always awesome to watch Tim Tebow play for the New York Mets. I think he had an RBI, RBI yesterday. So far, I'm just looking at his stats right now. Three hits in 12 at-bats, so he's hitting you know, 250 on the year. Not bad for Tebow, and I'm really interested to see if he actually plays a part in that Mets minor league system and gains some confidence going forward. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if number 15 finds himself in the big league this year. But getting back to what you said about Dom Smith and Pete Alonso, shall I say, um, <laughs> it's definitely good for the Mets to have, on one hand, that versatility just from a handedness perspective of having a righty in Pete Alonso and having a lefty in Dom Smith at the first base bag. But on the other hand, Peter Alonso or Pete was coming into this year and he was kind of tagged as a prospect that would be tasked with filling that first base void uh, because for so long Smith was never able to live up to his billing. And now if we have Smith hitting uh, for the Mets, then he's going to put that pressure on Pete Alonso to do his part. And ultimately, if you're you know if you're a Met fan, you're a New York baseball fan, you're the winner at the end of the day because if you have these two forces competing, you're going to get some first-base production regardless uh, of whether it comes from Smith or Alonzo. So for me, I'm also going to mention a prospect, a New York prospect, but for the Yankees, Esteban Florial, who has been our number one prospect for the last six or seven months um, ever since we traded Justice Sheffield. He's looking good. He's hitting 368 this spring. He's a really good defender, fast as anyone in the big leagues and he's a guy who I think will start this season at the double a level but it's encouraging that he's recognizing pitches and working the count against these higher level pitchers in spring training because if you're thinking about the left field um, position for New York you're thinking Brett Gardner is going to go out and start the year there and Gardner for his solid veteran presence is not someone that is by any means an elite player or Uh, a sustainable player. He usually fades around August because he's up there in age. So if we could call up Floreal later in the season and he could do some of what he's doing in spring training, that would be a huge uh, deadline-esque boost for the New York Yankees. We'll be definitely keeping an eye on what Floreal does in Trenton uh, and Scranton as he progresses through the minor league system. Now, taking a step away from the diamond, but looking at the game of baseball, Um, as a whole, there's been a new rule uh, that Rob Manfred and the MLB agreed upon as they make a gambling deal. I believe it was with uh, the FanDuel or DraftKings, one of those um, gambling companies. They made a deal, and the bottom line of the deal is that the lineups from uh, each manager from each team have to be submitted to the league office before the media and before the fans get to see it. 
how do you you know how does that rub you there because baseball has this long uh, long-standing relationship with gambling you had the black Sox scandal uh, most famously i believe that was all the way back in the early 20th century but baseball and gambling with pete rose of course have been you know in a very tenuous you could say relationship how does that make you feel that now the MLB is partnering up with the sports book and they have this procedure for the lineup submission? I see two big things coming from this. And the, the first one, let's knock out of the park right now. If Pete Rose is not in the Baseball Hall of Fame by the end of this year, it will be an absolute disgrace to baseball. And I mean, you're looking at today's day and age now, gambling is huge. I mean, there's kids gambling now, there's adults gambling, everyone's gambling. It doesn't matter how much people are doing it. And... Now, with the compatibility that people have that they didn't have back then to now do it online and have the partnership with the MLB now, and now the MLB is coming out and making things more fair for the gambler, there's no reason why Pete Rose still to this day should not be in the Hall of Fame considering his stats. I mean, I'm looking at right now, .303 career average, 4,256 hits. I mean, it's unbelievable how this guy is not in the Hall of Fame for his talent. And I think, I don't know about you, but it's an absolute disgrace that this guy still isn't in. And I, I don't know. Will he be in? Is it, is it possible? I think Pete Rose's odds at the Hall of Fame are kind of compromised after he had that ability to remedy his relationship with baseball and with Rob Manfred uh, about two years ago, and he really wasn't willing to take the high road. Uh, I would agree with you, though, that on merit, Pete Rose is uh, a Hall of Fame baseball player. I'd you know, if you're going to put steroid guys in the Hall of Fame, uh, people who are directly impacting the outcome of their statistics in a, in a manner that really mm-hmm. makes them better, then why can't you put in a guy in Pete Rose who just gambled on games, not like he was throwing games, not like he had some unfair advantage over uh, the people who he was competing with. But yeah, I would like to see Rose in the Hall of Fame. If I had to take uh, a guess here, I would guess that Pete Rose does one day see Cooperstown, but I think it'll be posthumous. I think after he dies, um, they'll elect him into the Hall of Fame in some capacity. But we'll see. I, I Going back to the gambling aspect of this and you know the policy going forward, I'm not against legalizing sports gambling at all. I think it's you know, people are going to do it. It's just inevitable. It's a vice. But um, if, if it's going to happen, might as well regulate it and, and take control of it. But the policy specifically that the lineups have to go to uh, the casinos before they go to the public kind of rubs me the wrong way because then you, there's an element of insidership and just mm-hmm. quite, there's just a red some red flags that go up um, when you see that the lines are going to be adjusted accordingly and the public doesn't get to see them and the, I, I would just like more transparency is uh, essentially what I'm trying to say here but uh, definitely something to keep an eye on. I know a lot of managers uh, have spoken out against this, uh, uh, mainly anonymously, but we'll see if anyone comes out publicly. Uh, and the MLB now is joining the NFL and the NBA uh, as leagues that really adapt to this new forefront of gambling. So we have about three minutes left in this MLB segment, and I just want to touch on this quickly. Another non-baseball but MLB-related uh, point of discussion that's come up this week is the comments from Bryce Harper and he said that in 2020 when Mike Trout becomes a free agent he's definitely going to engage him as a Philadelphia Philly of course Trout's from an hour outside of Philadelphia in southern Jersey he's an Eagles fan Uh, it's been known for a while that he would have a at least a tangential interest in coming and playing for the Phillies does this um, seem like something that's a roadblock for the MLB should they be handling this tampering situation um, more aggressively than they have or should they kind of let it go and take the NBA route here and just let the players do what they want I think the term tampering and even you know the overall ideology of it has really been has really been skewed as of late not just in baseball but in all sports and I think I mean it's almost like how people have been talking a lot in politics about how the term fake news is being used way overblown It's the same thing with tampering. Not everything is tampering. And in this specific reason, who doesn't want Mike Trout? Why can't someone come out? I mean, yes, it's at a different magnitude with Bryce Harper coming out. A guy who it now seems to be took less money to play alongside Mike Trout coming forward in Philadelphia. A place that is going to end up being favored for Mike Trout. But is there a problem with him saying that he wants to play with Mike Trout? I don't see why there is. Yes. Is it not always good for the game 
to be so top heavy, not just in the M- again, not just in the MLB, but in the NBA more specifically because that's a more top heavy league. It's less balanced out, especially without a salary with um with a salary cap as opposed to the MLB. But I don't see a problem with it. And if Harper gets dinged for it for it after getting that huge contract, whatever. I think it is the best investment he'll make if he's losing money to get Mike Trout closer and closer. But go, still staying on this topic of tampering in sports, players need to be careful with how much they talk because there's a certain extent where it might even scare away players. And we see the characters. We see the characters of guys like Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving and basketball going a little bit off topic for a second, but on topic. These guys are sensitive. We talk about it all the time. These are guys that don't like the media being all in their face the entire the the whole time in terms of this topic. So players are really going to need to be careful to see how much they bother those f- fellow stars that can be coming. Yeah, that's definitely an important consideration. And just consider Mike Trout, who he is. He's a low key guy. Um, he's in L.A. of Anaheim. He's signed an extension there a few years ago, and he certainly isn't someone that longs for the spotlight. In fact, the MLB uh, and Manfred came out again kind of not against him, but they criticized him uh, this past July for not being marketable enough and not seeking out commercial opportunities as the MLB's best player. But it's just Trout's MO to be under the radar. Um, In fact, the only thing that we really do know about Mike Trout is that he has this odd passion for the weather. He wants to be a meteorologist, I think, after his career is done. (laughs) He's been on local broadcasts uh, for the weather in New Jersey. So uh, we'll see what happens here. I I think the MLB needs to be cognizant of the pressure that puts that gets put on the Angels organization uh, as Trout goes into his last two years uh, as an Angel, unless he signs another contract with him. But at the same time, right, there's no one who's around the league saying, "Oh, I don't want to play with Mike Trout." Of course, everyone wa- yeah, wants w- to play they- with Mike Trout. Like, I don't see the harm um, specifically in just making that explicit instead of implicit. Like, there's not a team in this league that wouldn't take uh, Mike Trout, you know, in their lineup. But even let me ask you this: What could they do about it? I mean, what are actual? If you really had to think about it, what is anything that all, any of these leagues can do to stop this whole tampering thing? I mean. You've seen them take away money from the players in the form of a fine, but of course it Bryce Harper with his $330 million bag is probably laughing uh, whatever $20,000 fine comes his way. Uh, but I think if they were really interested in cracking down on tampering, they would do team-specific penalties. So if you tamper, your team's losing a draft pick or your team's getting a lower salary cap for this year, and I think then players uh, obviously looking to please their bosses would be pretty careful about what they said to the media. But that's going to wrap it up uh, for what we have to talk about with baseball. As I mentioned, Mike Trout, amateur weatherman. Let's get to another amateur weatherman, Cole Nevins. What are we seeing here outside in Syosset? You know what? A little bit nicer Saturday. A good change after a pretty cold week. High of 44, low of 33, partially cloudy. And Sunday, expect to see a bit of showers. 48, 38, not the greatest slate for the weekend, but it's March. Hopefully the weather's getting nicer. Baseball's coming up. Hopefully good things are in store. And if I'm not mistaken, Cole, beautiful weather read right there, by the way. Mike Trout would be... So impressed. Oh, I really hope but he would be. If <laughs> if I'm not mistaken, we have daylight savings coming up yes. this weekend. That is awesome just because when you get home, no one likes getting home to uh, a nice, you know, no one likes to get home to darkness. But now with that daylight savings, you know, the days are getting longer. Summer is just around the corner. I think we have around 100 days of school left, give or take 10. And, uh, yeah, we're coming into the home stretch here. So, We'll see what happens on the diamond, but let's get into basketball. You said that March is a huge month. It certainly is, not only for college basketball, but because the NBA playoff push is really heating up. Um, No team has been more central to the league's discussion this week than the Boston Celtics, who have shown that after losing four straight games, uh, Portland, Houston at home, they go across the country, they play Golden State in their arena toughest team in the league and they put a beat down on them they beat them by i think 20 plus points um are you convinced that boston's back of course they went from golden state made the trip uh slightly further south to california's capital in sacramento on the back-to-back and beat up the kings too so is this two-game stretch sell you on boston or are you still skeptical of the celtics abilities here as they go into the playoffs before i get into that 
as I mentioned before, might get some news on this show. I actually did get some right now. Antonio Brown just went on Instagram Live, and he said, in quote, Hey, I'm about to announce my new team in, like, a little bit, alright? Something positive is about to be happening real soon. We Trust gotta me. stay woke here. <laughs> we gotta stay woke. I feel like I'm reading, like, a, a mystery clue right now, like... <laughs> so. It's like, it's like a hatchet clue. But if you're Antonio <laughs> Brown, like, that's classic AB. He wants to draw you in. He wants to make it a novel out of his team switch. I think, so. I think he also called himself Mr. Big Mister Big Checks. <laughs> not Big Chest. Big Checks. So we'll keep an eye yeah. on that. We got our NFL segment coming up at 540-ish. Yeah. We'll see if AB <laughs> can hold the news until then. Antonio, please preserve our, our show's line on, up here. Hour, hold it man. off for just a tad, but we'd like to sneak it in at the end. Boy, would that throw yeah. a wrench into what we're doing here. But uh, back to the Basketball. Celtics. Are you th- sold on the Celtics now after this two-game stretch against Golden State and Sacramento, or do you want to see more? I know they're playing L.A. tomorrow. Would you like to see them going and, and beat the Lakers in order for you to fully get back onto this uh, Celtics train? I, I like that you mentioned fully because I'm not fully right now. I'm partially. And that's because that Warriors game doesn't impress me that much, and it really shouldn't for everyone. Yes, it's it's a, it's great beating the Warriors, but the thing with the Warriors that, I've, that we just have seen over their whole dynasty is that in some regular season games when they know they're falling behind and they see that they're not and not shooting the ball well and when they don't shoot the ball extremely well or even average they're gonna lose that game so we saw abysmal shooting from the Warriors that the entire game did you watch as a Celtics fan or no of course I wouldn't miss that game so I don't know what you saw but just looking from the stats the Warriors were terrible from beyond the arc and I think from what what we know about the Warriors once they start shooting like that, they kind of turn off the brakes and they say, you know what, we'll throw this game away because we can win any other game coming up. I think an important takeaway from that game, if you're focusing in on Golden State, was someone who emerged as a weak link, and that's DeMarcus Cousins. And for all of his skills and for all of his achievements prior to his Achilles injury, he surfaced, uh, I believe, Tuesday as a player who could be picked on in the post. I know Al Horford took him uh, a lot of times down. Aaron Baines as well was physical with Boogie, and they actually got into a little scuffle. But I think Boston exploited uh, DeMarcus Cousins on the defensive end, and they were able to kind of uncharacteristically win a game in the paint. So uh, definitely encouraging for the Celtics to go in there uh, against Golden State. Of course, Klay Thompson was not present for the Warriors, and you mentioned their streaky shooting and how they can react to uh, slow starts from the th- behind the three-point line. And obviously, Clay as one of the best three-point shooters ever, is a huge part in that. But even then, you go against Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, Draymond Green, and Boogie, you feel good about yourself if you get out of there uh, with a win, especially a double-digit win. Uh, and then going and backing that up with a gritty effort in Sacramento the night after, I think that could tell you as much, if not more, about the team uh, than the Warriors win did because – It's Mm -hmm. a surprise to nobody that the Celtics are talented, but I think a lot of people question their will to win on a night-to-night basis and their discipline as a team. It it takes a lot of discipline to come off that high of a Warriors win in uh, San Francisco and then go grind out a back-to-back win against a scrappy Sacramento team, Mm -hmm. a team that will definitely run the court up and down. De'Aaron Fox, uh, one of the fastest players in the NBA, uh, without Kyrie Irving, and go and win that game in the late minutes of it. So uh, Gordon Hayward looked good. A lot of positive signs here uh, from Boston, but their opponent tomorrow in a primetime game uh, also has their fair share of question marks. That, of course, would be the Los Angeles Lakers. They have now, uh, in their first year of LeBron James, a higher probability of getting Zion Williamson, a.k.a. getting the top pick in the uh, draft lottery, (laughs) than making the playoffs. Now, this is a failed season for L.A. in a lot of people's eyes. Would you agree with that notion? And do you think, and we touched upon this last week, that L.A. is still a destination team, somewhere where free agents are going to flock to? Or is this failed season uh, under LeBron's watch going to scare people away? It's tough, and my mind's been all over the place lately. And I think this is my strongest take when it comes to this topic right now. I don't think that they're, they're a strong destination anymore. I think it is very hard for players to say, I want to go play with LeBron James right now and be his sidekick because you're going to inevitably be a sidekick. And Paul George, Paul George did the same thing. And Paul George is arguably better than LeBron James right now who's significantly dropped off this season with his injury and his lack of care in a way of 
basketball over that whole lifestyle. And Paul George made a good basketball decision for himself and said, I'm going to stay out of the spotlight instead of what LeBron did. LeBron went to the spotlight instead of worrying about basketball. And Paul George made that decision to go to Oklahoma City once again. And it's working out. He's having an excellent season. He's really proved himself. But if you're thinking of any last-ditch effort that could save LeBron's master plan of coming to L.A. and somehow coming to win, which, again, I've talked about this in prior shows, I, I still have this theory that LeBron James did not come to L.A. to win at all. I think he came for the lifestyle, and I think he's mentioned this before, and it's been a bit cryptic, but people haven't made a big deal about it. He stated multiple times last year that he was content with his legacy thus far after that huge finals win against Golden State and what I consider the best non-championship playoff run by a player of all time, I would be content as well. And now he's kind of going on a bit of a five, six-year retirement tour in LA in a way now that he gets to grow his business out, which is going to be the next stage of his life. And I was even having a conversation this morning. He's chasing stats a little bit. Now this is the time where... It's kind of like that, that forgettable time that MJ was with the Wizards, but a, a bit higher of a magnitude. He's kind of trying to, not stat pad, but build up that legacy. and Because you know LeBron cares about that debate. He can be all nice-nice with Jordan. Like He put an Instagram post out for him today about Jordan's legacy. But he wants to be better than Jordan, and he stated multiple times, Jordan's the ghost that he's been chasing in Chicago his entire career. So going back to that free agent destination... Let's tie in from our past segment. I think Kyrie Irving has a has the best chance of any free agent right now of going to LA. As in like of any of the guys in that pool right now, if anyone's gonna go to LA, I think it's Kyrie. He's played with LeBron before, they've had success, and maybe he wants to go out there. But I, I'd rather him in other places, but I think there's a slight chance. I don't want to go too far down the Kyrie rabbit hole. Obviously I have a lot to say about him as a Celtic fan. Um just, you know, to, for your too long, didn't read a version of it, I'll say that Kyrie I don't think is going to go to L.A. I, I, I could see him going to the Knicks. I don't think that he's going to play it with LeBron again. I think he learned his lesson, but uh, that's probably a whole different segment uh, on its own. I want to get back it's, it's into— a sm- It's a small thought. Right. I've been it's, thinking it's about it. It's an interesting me. thought, too, because there's definitely um, reason to believe it. Yeah, there's definitely chatter. It's, it's not crazy by any stretch, but it's— I don't know. It's just after seeing that breakup uh, and the way that Kyrie um, at the end of his tenure in Cleveland wouldn't even talk to his teammates, LeBron included, just gives me pause uh, about thinking that Kyrie would make any sort of long-term commitment there. But going back to what you said, I love your point about Paul George. I think that uh, two summers ago now when Paul George signed that extension uh, in OKC and everyone just ripped on him everyone said including myself yes everyone said what why is this guy doing he's so stubborn he's playing with russell westbrook and you know one of the worst markets in the nba no one looks smarter than paul george who's now you know championing his way onto an mvp campaign and he's easily could be uh considered for three awards this year most improved player defensive player of the year and, of course, the MVP. So Paul George looks awesome now. He's carrying this Thunder team. Um, of course, the other two guys in that MVP race uh, are last year's winner, James Harden, and the Greek, fe- the Greek freak, Giannis Antetokounmpo. Out of those three, who are you going with uh, if you had to say right now who's going to win the MVP? I like to consider the MB- MVP of the person who makes the biggest impact of the team. And I know it's not the same anymore, and that was proven. Russell Westbrook undeservingly won the MVP, and James Harden undeservingly won the MVP, in my opinion, because I think it should be the person that has the biggest impact on their team. And I think if you want to keep that ideology, it's Giannis Antetokounmpo this year. I think he's done so much for this Bucks team. I think he's been a true leader that no one's been talking about because they haven't been getting flashy wins all season. And they are in that small market, and he's not playing alongside another star in Russell Westbrook like Paul George. I have the utmost respect for Paul George, and I love Paul George, and I think he's making such an amazing impact on both sides of the floor, which is something that we didn't see from Harden and Westbrook in their MVP seasons, which just which just makes this MVP conversation just more enticing compared to the past. But I think Giannis' impact on the East, taking over, taking that initiative, now that LeBron's gone to say, I'm the king of the East now. I'm going to take over, and the Bucks have been running away with it. And I think stats aside, Giannis Antetokounmpo has been an absolute force. And I think he should be the MVP for his 
contributions on both sides of the floor. Yeah, I'm with you there. I'd like to see Giannis win it. Of course, every time James Harden rolls through Boston and plays my Celtics and I get a good long look at him, uh, I think twice and say, wow, like this guy is the best basketball player on the face of the earth. But if you really take a closer look at the analytics and uh, his impact on the Rockets winning, it doesn't real it's there's real disparity between the eye test uh and what the numbers would say about Harden enough to make me consider other candidates and yeah of the other candidates Giannis is the one that stands out I mean he's so consistent and the thing is he's not in that position that Harden or uh, Paul George is in where they have to single-handedly will their teams uh to victory on a night-to-night basis but I think that makes the stat line even more yeah. impressive like he's doing this within the system within the context uh, of a winning team and if we're going to value winning if we're going to encourage uh, a culture of competitiveness then I think Giannis Antetokounmpo embodies that on every single front I mean he's completely bought in on Milwaukee as a market, as a fan base. Um, He's completely bought in on the competitive culture of the NBA. There's this AAU culture that prevails, and guys practice together over the summer and become buddy-buddy. Giannis, he's old school. He said, no way to heck with that. I'm practicing by myself or with my teammates because all these guys are trying to take wins away from me in the middle of the season. Um, and And he's a good team player. He doesn't take too many shots. He plays good defense. I don't think there's a bad thing that anyone has to say around the NBA about Giannis Antetokounmpo, and I'd love to see him get his recognition here uh, in the MVP voting. So I'm happy we agree. The Greek freak, number 34, big on. Uh, Hopefully he'll be getting that trophy this year. And once he got that MVP next to your name, uh, that just helps your legacy exponentially. So that's all we have uh, on the basketball front here. We're going to come around on the other side with some college basketball talk. We have a premier matchup next weekend, or this weekend rather, between Duke uh, and North Carolina. We'll see if Zion Williamson plays, but before that, here's a song, Nicki Minaj and Lil Wayne.
Aware that you have a little tease for our our listeners out there. Yeah, Antonio Brown has told people close to him that there is a team, I'll not say which one, that he's looking to go to. So if you're listening on the on my podcast, that's gonna be published after the show. You'll be you'll probably know by now. But for those listening live, we got some big things coming up. So definitely stay tuned for that. But we got some Zion talk to talk about. And I mean. Who doesn't want to talk about Zion? Everyone wants to talk about Especially Zion. Especially ESPN. Zion's the talk of the town. ESPN <laughs> loves to talk about Zion. They want to know what Zion ate for breakfast and uh, <laughs> lunch and whatever. But we'll get into some more substantive talk about Zion. This Saturday, so tomorrow, we have my favorite game of the year um, in college basketball by far. Like Before any March Madness game, Duke, North Carolina, uh, this one is in Chapel Hill, and of course there's that discussion. Is Zion going to play tomorrow? No one knows. Either way, it's going to be a good game. Um, last time, North Carolina was able to go into Duke and win by 17 points, but I think that's in large part due to the shock that Duke experienced after Zion went down uh, with that knee sprain and his shoe exploded. Now Duke has you know gotten their stuff together a little bit more, they have plenty of talent, uh, more talent on uh, a freshman class than UNC as a whole. But, of course, UNC is a team, and they play better team basketball than almost anyone in the country. They're ranked number three. Duke is number four. Who do you got tomorrow? Dean Smith Center, eight o'clock or 6 o'clock p.m., potentially for all the marbles in the ACC, uh, best, two, you know, best rivalry in college basketball. I'm happy you mentioned that point about Duke being shocked. Because that's exactly what I was going to talk about. <laughs> the reason why they got destroyed in that game was not because they were less talented than UNC. It's because they kind of went in and said, oh, wait, Zion's hurt? What are we going to do now? We, they, like, panicked. And now they come into this game and Coach K says, look, they can prepare. I, think, I, think, I don't think Zion should play in this game. I think it's too valuable. Yes, it's a huge game for Duke. But I think the tournament is much more important. And I think... It might be inevitable that they be, that they play in the ACC championship finals, and that Duke's still going to get a one or two seed, and they should be expected to beat every single team that they play. But if Coach K is able to sit down now and say, "Look, we have this is what we have now. We're preparing to not play with Zion." He sets out his team and he says, "Look, here's what we're rolling with. This is how we're going to attack UNC. You have a whole game plan now, and I think it's going to be close. I think UNC still pulls it out, but I think people are going to be talking about how impressed they are with Duke." and how much they've improved playing without Zion since that first game. I'm with you. I think UNC pulls this one out. Colby White is outstanding from the point guard position. I don't think uh, Duke has anyone that could really match him. Of course, Trey Jones defensively is a stalwart, but Trey Jones, uh, if you recall, got hurt for a few minutes uh, in that last game against Wake Forest. We'll see if he's at 100%. I suspect he isn't, uh, and therefore Colby White should be able to uh, rack up the points here. And then I think... If you look at last game, North Carolina scored 68 points in the paint against Duke, um, and it's senior night for UNC. So they have three seniors in the lineup, uh, in their starting lineup. So it just seems like one of those games where both the on-the-court things and the off-the-court intangibles line up with uh, UNC. Of course, being a home game is, even though it's not really far at all, it's a 10 to 15-minute drive from Duke, uh, it makes all the difference in crowd noise and support. Uh, you better believe that UNC students are going to be packing the Smith Center uh, this Saturday. They can't wait. And, of course, the ACC being on the line, that has implications for seeding going into the ACC tournament. 
I think both teams will know um, what's at stake here going into halftime of the game because UVA versus Louisville is at 4 o'clock, uh, and that game should be shaping up. But Louisville is going to give UVA a game here, and we'll see what happens or we'll see what happens between Duke and UNC because as much as this game has implications in the state of North Carolina and the country as a whole between two rival fan bases, it has implications on the whole ACC because these are two of the top teams in the conference. Mm-hmm. And before we get into our next segment, there's another big game on tomorrow. That's my Michigan Wolverines against the Michigan State Spartans for the crown of the very competitive Big Ten. Do you have a pick in that game? I would go with Michigan. I'm, I'm questioning Michigan State after their loss to Indiana on And the game's in Michigan Saturday. State as well. Yeah, the game's in Michigan State, and it's going to be two good teams, but my gut instinct would be to go with the Wolverines. Mm-hmm. How about you? Just as, a, just as a fan with a bit of intake on... Michigan, the, the team I know more about than any other team in college basketball. There's a chance that we might not be playing with Charles Matthews, the Kentucky transfer tomorrow, a huge part of the Wolverines team, a player that we have shown that we've needed to put up a consistent output. And against Michigan State in that one game, the biggest reason why we lost that game was the lack of scoring. We did not have a, a plus 15, plus 20 point score in that game. So the biggest X factor for tomorrow is if Michigan has one to two guys who are able to score the basketball tomorrow, and that will lead them to a win, a huge win over Michigan State. So we'll see what happens there in that battle uh, for the state of Michigan rivalry day tomorrow. The game should be uh, exciting. Of course, if you're into the NBA, we discussed Celtics-Lakers. So if you just want to park on the couch, I know I won't be able to, uh, but I wish I was able to because there's so much to go over tomorrow, uh, so much to watch. should be really cool to see, and obviously we'll break it all down here on next week. But, Cole, I know you're a man of your word. Uh, you would not lie to our viewers. So we're going to get into NFL. NFL on the other side of this PSA and if you guys could just keep it tuned for 30 more seconds Cole will let you know what colors Antonio Brown is putting on next NFL season anyway here's a quick PSA I really didn't feel safe anymore at home. Every year, tens of thousands of youth experience homelessness. The possibility of sleeping out on a park bench. It's not something that a 15-year-old should have to think about. 1-800-RUNAWAY provides 24-hour access to a nationwide network of housing and support services. They felt such warmth. They felt comfort. They felt safe. Call 1-800-RUNAWAY. Go to 1-800-RUNAWAY.org or text 66008. We can end- Welcome back to the home stretch of Friday Night Lights. My name is Spencer Pugash. I'm alongside Cole Nevins. Uh, before I let Cole fill you all in on where Antonio Brown is taking his talents next September, I want to let you know that the Syosset High School ACT presents Mama Mia next Friday and Saturday, March 15th and 16th, and as well as Sunday, March 17th. Uh, Friday and Saturday, you can catch the performances at 7.30 p.m. Uh, Sunday, we got a matinee at 2 p.m. I know they have been working incredibly hard on the play. They're rehearsing as we speak. Uh, it'll be taking place in the Harvey P. Carp Auditorium and tickets are $15. A portion of the proceeds will be donated to the mother-child mission of Seaford. Join us for a night of your favorite rock and roll ABBA songs. We'll see what happens with Mamma Mia. I know uh, it would be a great way to go out and support uh, our fellow thespians and go support, uh, watch Mamma Mia. So if anyone out there is looking for some quality theater, Slash it is the place. Idina Menzel, Natalie Portman, both alumnus of the high school, um, <laughs> go check it out. So cold now, the moment you've been waiting for, where is Antonio Brown telling people that he will play next season? Keyword telling people because nothing is official yet, but Antonio Brown reportedly has told friends and other executives that he's going to be an Oakland Raider in wow. 2019. Wow, he's taking it to the black hole. Yeah, and in a, that aforementioned Instagram Live video, it seems to be that there's a friend in the background that says, got the black and gray on already? The infamous um, Raiders two colors. And AB is also wearing that black and gray in that video working out. So definitely stay tuned on that. But let's talk about Antonio Brown. I'll let you introduce it first. Yeah, but- let's. Uh, so last night this whole saga started with AB. Um, he... There was a report from Ian Rappaport, very credible reporter, um, one of the foremost NFL insiders right alongside Adam Schefter. But not, said, but not Adam Schefter. He's not Adam Schefter, but well, he's No, no, close. no, wait, wait. But there was a big thing because usually, usually they have the same reports, 
But right. Adam Schefter did not report Adam the Adam Schefter had nothing to add. Ian Rappaport did say <laughs> uh, that Antonio Brown last night was uh, finalizing a move to Buffalo for the Buffalo Bills. Everyone went off. They said, this, here's Pittsburgh sending Antonio Brown to <laughs> NFL Siberia. Go play in Buffalo. Uh, that trade didn't happen. A.B. proclaimed it as cool as you'd be uh, happy to know from earlier in the show, fake news. Um, and... And now he's in Oakland, so that's kind of cool. Unpack that for us. Walk us through the last 15 to 20 hours of Antonio Brown madness. We know that Antonio Brown actually just did. He made up his own trade clause, and he said, I'm not going to Buffalo. That's exa- no, I'm not even kidding, because I see Spencer laughing right now. That is exactly what he did. He got traded to the Bills. I don't care what the reports say. They, they said the trade was agreed in principle earlier this week, and it fell through. No, that's not what happened. They agreed to this deal. I think Rappaport was right. And then Antonio Brown found that and said, oh, no, I'm not going to the Bills. Are you kidding me? And then the Bills said, oh, well, we're not going to trade you. Uh, Pittsburgh, have him back. That is exactly what happened. Don't believe what you say. We're going to get into a bunch of rumors shaping up our opinions later with the Josh Rosen segment. But that's what I think what happened. I want, I want to know about you. Sound effects included. I think that's a pretty accurate representation uh, of Antonio Brown's proceedings with the Buffalo Bills. I don't think that Antonio Brown had any interest in going to play for Buffalo and quite honestly can't blame him. Uh, They're not that great of a team. The organization hasn't really been uh, a consistent contender at all. They have decent um, head coaching and, and leadership, Brandon Bean, the GM, and uh, McDonough, the head coach, but they just haven't been able to produce. And then if you want to go further into it and look at the city of Buffalo compared to other NFL cities, uh, it definitely falls short on that star quality. Of course, Buffalo is a fun city. People who live there, they, they swear by it, but I don't think anyone in their right mind is putting Buffalo <laughs> uh, in the same sentence as a city in terms of spotlight as uh, you know Northern California or, for that matter, Las Vegas, where the Raiders are imminently going to play uh, two years from now, I believe. So we'll see what happens um, with Antonio Brown and uh, with the Raiders. But I think the Bills did indeed get cold feet. I mean, they're co- everything's cold in Buffalo, but especially their feet after they saw Antonio Brown go out and, as you so um, accurately described, made up his own trade clause uh, and did not want to play for the Bills. So he's an interesting guy. He, there's always a circus revolving around him. Uh, and the Raiders are an organization that has a ton of history with the scruntled wide receivers. Randy Moss, uh, definitely one of them. Uh, So you mentioned Josh Rosen and this situation in the desert with Arizona, the Cardinals. Cliff Kingsbury, of course, for those who don't know, uh, just took over the coaching job for the Cardinals this past offseason. He came in from his last coaching experience was being the head coach at Texas Tech. He was slated to become the offensive coordinator at USC. That never happened, of course. He took the Arizona job. He's a young guy. Uh, People praise him for his offensive mind. And in the middle of the college football season, when discussing Kyler Murray, Cliff Kingsbury said, if I had the number one pick or if I had the chance to, I'd love to have Kyler Murray play for me. Well, now he does have the number one pick, uh, and they have the chance to draft Kyler Murray or anyone for that matter. There's been discussion that last year's number 10 pick, Josh Rosen, uh, who's their current quarterback one year in the NFL, is on his way out. Cole, do you see Rosen leaving? Do you think this is smart for Arizona uh, to eschew Rosen for Kyler Murray? And if so, where do you see chosen Rosen, one of my favorite young quarterbacks in this league, ending up? If I were the Cardinals GM, this is what I'd do. And hopefully, let me have my minute of spotlight right here as I explain what I'd do because I have a very strong take on this subject. You hire Cliff Kingsbury, a guy that got fired from a college football team and had a losing, not fired, had a losing record, excuse me, on a college football team, which should get you fired if you're playing, if you're coaching at Texas Tech. But we've seen the offensive prowess, we've seen the potential, and we've talked about this before. The NFL is a league that is designed and centered around offensive-minded head coaches. As much as we don't want to admit it, as much as we want to, as much as I say that teams shouldn't just target guys who can have had, a, had coffee with Sean McVay one time, it's centered around that league, and nothing's changing, and the league is going to be trending in that direction. So if you're looking at the Cardinals-specific situation, they hire Kingsbury and they fire Steve Wilkes, a defensive guy, after just one season. I think if you're looking at this situation right now, I think the relationship that Josh Rosen has with the Cardinals after one terrible year where they did absolutely nothing to help him and put him into a hellhole of a situation behind that 
Swiss cheese offensive line and with absolutely no weapons and you fire the offensive coordinator mid-year, it was an absolute mess in the Valley. But I think the relationship with Rosen is flawed. And I'm not gonna t- I'm not gonna worry about any of the rumors I've heard so far about them shopping him the not. I think they're shopping him. And I think that what they're gonna do is they have Cliff Kingsbury now, and I think they're gonna give him his guy. They're not gonna make the mistake that some teams make where they have a a first round pick from the past. It's not just in football, but in sports. You have a first round pick from the past and you pair him with a new resume and it never works out. I think I see a lot of that with Josh Rosen right now. A guy that Yes, could Cliff Kingsbury work with him? For sure. But is he going to work as much as Kyler Murray? Maybe not. So what I think they should do is I think they should gauge the market for Josh Rosen. I think they should insert Kyler Murray into that role. And I don't believe the rumors that they can only get a second or third round pick for him. I think Josh Rosen, Josh Rosen is my QB2 last year, only behind Baker Mayfield. I think the world of Josh Rosen. I think he's such a great player. I think he's awesome. And I think there are so many teams that could benefit from absolutely stealing him from the Cardinals. And I think that's what the Cardinals should go with. And yes, would it look bad if Josh Rosen starts playing really well in a much better situation, which I think is going to end up happening? Yes, does that? I mean, it's going it's to look bad. But I think it's going to be kind of like, I'll give an analogy right here, kind of like that Luka Doncic Trey Young trade, where while Luka Doncic might end up having a better career, they are much better fits for the situations that they're now in. Luca being in Dallas and Trey being in Atlanta, I think it fits them much better. And I think I see the same thing with Kyler and chosen Josh Rosen. Now I see what you're saying. I don't think that you should try to fit a square peg in a round hole with Josh Rosen and Cliff Kingsbury's system. But I think Josh Rosen has so much to offer as an NFL quarterback mm-hmm. that if my team traded for him, uh, the for those who don't know, I'm a Patriots fan, and they, there's been very faint rumors of interest in Josh Rosen. I would be over the moon. Like they'd, I have, think, they'd have another 20 year dynasty. That's what I've been saying. I agree. I think they, he's they, got awesome ridiculous. mechanics. Like he's oh so he's so clean in the pocket. I he makes cried. good throws. He's intellectual as a quarterback. Um, you know, one of the smartest quarterbacks that's ever come out. I really am all in on Rosen. I know he didn't have a good year, but you've pointed out very smartly that they did nothing to help him. So. If you're Arizona, you'd be very careful, and you better know with 100% certainty that Kyler Murray is your guy because if you trade Rosen and he goes and has success, which I foresee, and Murray doesn't do anything, that is going to be a fireable offense for everyone in that front office and Cliff Kingsbury because he had input on this move. I love the Kingsbury hire, and if they think that Murray could make it work, go right ahead. But you better be careful. You better be sold on Kyler Murray if you're making this move. We'll see what happens uh, coming up. But today there's been a lot of interesting activity in the NFL. And no, no trades can become official until this Wednesday. That hasn't stopped teams from agreeing to deals in principle. Of course, today two high-profile pass rushers were traded. One from your New York Giants. Or no, you're not a Giants fan. No, I'm a Jets fan. You're a Jets fan. But one from the New York Giants and one from my New England Patriots from the Eagles. Let's break down Olivier Vernon, number one. Uh, he's going to Cleveland now. high price free agent guy. The Giants brought him in two years ago. Uh, he's had mild success there. Wh- who do you like this trade for, and do you think that Vernon will make an impact uh, in the dog pound? I like it for both teams. I'll start with the Giants first. Yes, we know the obvious. Their offensive line was the reason why they were so terrible last year because they can't protect Eli and as I love to say, one of my strongest takes in all of sports right now of topics, I think offensive lines control offenses and specifically running games for teams unless you have a generational talent like Saquon Barkley. That's why the Steelers have been so good and, can, and the Chiefs, they can plug in every anyone because of their offensive line, not because of the running back talent. And that's why I wouldn't target Le'Veon Bell. But that's a story for another time. <laughs> but I think the Giants bringing him in is a huge move for them, and it's a great step in the right direction, especially if they're looking to keep Eli in for one more year if they want to. And with Vernon, yes, he underperformed with the Giants. Yes, he's getting paid a lot. But dare I say it, the Cleveland Browns could be in win-now mo- win mode right now. And I know it's insane. It's a scary th- thought, but it's not wrong. It's insane to think about, but they can. And now you look at this crop of pass rushers in- right now, and they— at Vernon, and they put him into a 4-3 sheen now, something that he's much more comfortable in, and I think he's going to have success, and now they can start to bring in some star power and make some aggressive trades. 
Yeah, I love that uh, offensive line pickup. If they do indeed go ahead and draft Dwayne Haskins, you need to figure out the line at quarterback, no matter how good he is. If he's young, it's not going to be able to succeed um, for an extended period of time without a decent offensive line. And the Giants didn't even approach decency and respectability last year. Uh, just got a Twitter alert that the Steelers are, in fact, putting the final touches mm-hmm. on the A-B trade. Uh, just for all of our fans out there, they can remove that tentative nature to the A-B um, speculation. But getting back to the trade market in the NFL, the non-Antonio Brown trade market, um, Michael Bennett, I think that move, and, and I, I want to hear your thoughts on it, I think this is shaping up to be a great value for New England. Mm-hmm. I'd love to explain why, but uh, what do you think about Mike Bennett? I mean, he's a questionable guy. He's had some incidences uh, off the field, but on the field, he's an undeniable talent. Nine sacks this past year. Value is the best word for it. They get, they're getting a great value pickup right here. They're going to end up probably losing Trey Flowers now that they made this move. But Michael Bennett is definitely a good placeholder. And I heard some ramblings that... Martellus Bennett, brother of Michael Bennett, could be coming he back to New England. put out some of those England. eye emojis on Twitter. And, you know, nowadays with players, the eye emojis means like, yeah, hey, I mean, that's something huge. brewing here. And I think, <laughs> yeah, value is such a, such a big part of this Michael Bennett move. Trey Flowers, who you brought up, um, likely going to depart if that price tag gets too high. But here New England brings in a temporary replacement, but someone who, at least in this year, is as talented, if not more talented, than Trey Flowers. He had more sacks than Trey Flowers did, uh, more pressures than Flowers did, and I love Trey Flowers. I'd like to have them both back. But if not, Michael Bennett's more than adequate uh, as a replacement. But if Trey Flowers does leave, look at what New England can do with the compensatory picks. They'll get a third-round pick for Trey Flowers. They got a seventh-round pick back in this deal. They're paying Michael Bennett $9 million this year, and all they're giving up is a fifth-round pick next year. So they're essentially getting a draft pick for getting a better player from the compensatory pick if Flowers leaves. And then they're getting a seventh round back uh, from Philly here, and they're getting a player on a good value. It's not like they're taking on a bad contract by any stretch. In fact, Trey Flowers, if he does sign elsewhere or in New England, will likely command a higher salary in one year than Michael Bennett will over the next two years of his deal. I think this is awesome. Uh, We have one minute left, Cole. I don't want to put you too far on the spot, but you brought up Le'Veon Bell. Let's hear quickly where you think Le'Veon Bell is going to end up. Would you want him on your New York Jets team? No, I would not. And I'm one of the biggest Le'Veon Bell haters in the entire world. I cannot stand him. I don't think you should give him any credit for sitting out an entire season and bailing on his team completely. And I don't think the Jets can go out. He's a guy who can ruin a culture. You don't want him. And I think that paying a running back in today's NFL that much money after we've seen the success of running backs that have just spontaneously come in like Damian Williams of the Chiefs and James Conner and James Samuels, I think it's not even worth it. So I think that maybe a destination for him might be the Oakland Raiders now to reunite him with Antonio Brown. I saw someone say Oakland could potentially put together Kyler Murray, Le'Veon Bell, uh, and Antonio Brown. Hope it doesn't blow up in their face. We'll see. The mass exodus from Pittsburgh is going (laughs) to shake up this league. That's going to do it for us on Friday Night Lights. Cool. It was outstanding uh, being on with you today. A pleasure. Uh, We had a great talk. For the podcast listeners out there, certainly subscribe. I know Cole puts up great content on a daily basis, and we're uh, going to hand it off to Gianna Magrino, Friday Night Fire. She does a great show, a lot of current music. So please keep the dial right where it is, 88.5. For Cole Nevins, I'm Spencer Pugash. We'll see you next week here on Friday Night Lights. Mm